Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Allard. And I'm Michael Tabor. And this week, we have a very special returning four-time guest. All-time champion of the pod. That's right. Uh, the, the guest we've had on the most, with a bullet. Uh, writer, college professor, impresario, naturalist, and many other things. Kelsey Lair, welcome back to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, we are excited to have you, and we are excited for this episode. Zach, what are we diving into today? This has been a long time coming. We all we all grew up in the bosom of 2000s Christianity, in the sort of warm, welcoming, milky embrace. And sort of like gazelles, uh, you could say. <laughs> and... You know, we're a couple of warriors on this podcast. <laughs> I, I think everyone would agree with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that. That's how we would describe ourselves. And the reason, one of the many reasons we are warriors is because of John Eldridge's Eldridge. I'm just going to call him Eldridge, like horror. John Eldridge's yeah. horrifying, excellent book, Wild at Heart. Yeah, sort of one of the foundational texts, I would say, of of not just toxic male Christianity, but also just like existing as a Christian <laughs> in the 2000s. And and one that I think carries on to this day in a lot of different ways. Like I, I reading it again, reading it now, mm-hmm. I was really struck by how so much of what's in this book is just continues to exist uh, in things like uh well we'll get into the things like but uh wild at heart despite being published in 2002 has never gone away the wild is still with us <laughs> it is it's interesting i remember years ago when i was like in college i saw annie hall for the first time and it was like oh i feel like i've seen every single one of these tricks before and that's because mm-hmm. it has been so internalized by conservative christian culture that it just is the conservative christian culture yeah, yeah. It, it's got that, like, The Shining thing mm-hmm. where you're like, well, have you seen a horror movie since? Well, then, yeah, that, that came from The Shining. Uh, so John Eldridge, basically basically the lead of The Shining. Um, <laughs> I think we can all agree. Uh, not that good uh, of a writer, I think it's important to say up front. <laughs> oh, but, but he tries so very hard. <laughs> the effort is just written. It is just splashed all over the page. Just how much I, he efforted this book. Oh, my goodness. He, he probably used a purple pen to write prose this way. Like, like he was dedicated to it. Uh, uh, so I did a tiny yes, bit of research yes. into John and his background, only to find out that our, our uh, guest this week, Kelsey, has some personal experiences that she would like to share about the Eldridge family. Uh, but first... Let me just tell you a little bit about where John came from, because despite spending this entire fucking book talking about how important (laughs) it is for all men to be badass warriors, uh, John was a theater geek. Like that is that is basically what he did for a very long time. Uh, He mentions it in the book that he ran a theater like product like a small theater production company for a little bit. Female uh, traits, according to John Eldridge. Yeah, his his undergrad was in was in uh, was in th- drama, like, and, and that was kind of his deal until uh, he did it. He made a mistake, a mistake many of us has made, but a, a mistake nevertheless. He read Francis Schaeffer and ruined his life. Uh, 
because after he read some Francis Schaeffer, uh, John got saved, uh, which sort of led him slowly on a path to becoming a biblical counselor, working on staff at a church for five years, and eventually working for Focus on the Family, something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Mr. Dobson's uh, sweaty paws are all over this man. Uh, but you see, John was a bit of a rebel, and John wasn't content to stay in the warm and nestly bosom of Christian counseling. No, John had to strike his own path uh, by leaving focus on the family and just writing a book. That was that was the thing he did. That's all. He wrote a book. Well, a, a uh, book that went on to become an organization with a website. Oh, he's got a website, and he has written, uh, I think, like 13 more books since, none of which I had ever heard of before this. Uh, But hey, this one sure did hit. It sold 4 million copies. It was originally released in like 2001. Uh, I was gifted several copies (laughs) by youth leaders in my church and spoken to by even more people about how important and, and just like revelatory this book was and up until i started reading it for this podcast i thought i had read it and then i started reading it and i realized that i had not Uh, because my memory of the book was pretty distinctly different from the thing that we actually get uh and so that that's john he's just been doing this shit for like a decade i looked at uh an interview he did 15 years after the publication Mm. where they asked if he had any regrets sort of in this like 2016 era is sort of toxic male Christianity had become not just a thing that we all had to deal with, but a national concern. And he was basically like, nah, wild at heart came at a critical moment in our culture. Men and women were hungry for some straight talk about gender. We'd lived through the caricatures of John Wayne and Donna Reed, followed by the reaction of the feminist movement. And honestly, neither were satisfying. Mm. Very yep. uh, very special. You know, when I think of two things that are equivalently important, I think John Wayne and feminism. Uh, <laughs> and it's very, very funny to me that this man thinks that he is carving sort of a middle path here when this entire book sucks John Wayne's dick so hard. So hard. Uh, Just an- constantly. A- another theater kid, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Another one of these fakers. Uh, but, you know, that would be very upsetting to John because he has, he has some real issues with posers. But what I didn't know when we started this podcast is that, Kelsey, you have some actual experience with the Eldridge family. I sure do. Yeah, if you have read this book or its companion piece, <laughs> Captivating, by John and his wife, Stacey Eldridge. What, how would you pronounce yeah. her name? So, so we should just put a little asterisk here and note that um, John writes a lot about his wife, Stacey, but it is spelled S-T-A-S-I. And it is impossible mm-hmm. to read this name without, I mean, for me anyway, reading it as Stasi. <laughs> yeah. And so, so she will be referred to thusly. Yes. So John and Stasi um, go on to write a book for for the ladies called Captivating. <laughs> Wild at heart for the ladies. And we will we will be covering that at a future date. Yeah, next week. But yep, um, this is a twofer. We'll spoil it now. We are not just going out with the guy stuff. No, we're here for the ladies too. <laughs> Y'all always have been. So um, <laughs> so not only did I just like grow up reading Captivating at my high school girls bible study mm-hmm. at church oh, no. um so i so the the eldridge name was was known to me my whole life and then i got to college where i happened to be attending with 
the very same Sam Eldridge that is referred to constantly in this book. So that is John, El- John and Stasi's son, uh, Sam. And John writes a lot about all three of his sons throughout, yeah. throughout the book. Constantly. Constantly. Con- like they are not just his every like example. They are his definition of universal truth. Like if <laughs> we'll get to it, but anything that he believes is true about men, he believes it's true because he observes it in his children. So it turns out <laughs> that uh, I actually went and graduated the same year as Sam, the oldest son. Uh, I also knew Blaine, the middle son. I did not know the younger oh, son, boy. and I can't even remember his name. Um, I will also <laughs> add on, this is th- probably my greatest feminist bona fide, and one of the things that I remain the proudest of in my life. I actually yes. went on a study abroad program with Sam Eldridge. And this is a very small college, mind you, like 1,200 students. Um, so we... we you guys dated for a while. We did not date. We did not date. Absolutely not. But we Feminist rubbed... bona fides, dating and Eldridge. No, no. We did rub shoulders all the time. And in fact, is that a euphemism? It is. That's dating. That's just called dating. I went to youth group. I know the truth. We didn't date so much. Wait, were you wearing sleeves? That one time on our study abroad program that Sam and I were both on, Sam had a couple of beers at the pub in London and the he just started talking and the truth came out and he called me abrasive. <laughs> Amazing. And I just feel like, Incredible. are you even a real feminist if an Eldridge hasn't called you abrasive? True. True. You know what? I'm going in and I'm yelling at people with feminists in their Twitter bios unless they have been called abrasive by Sam Eldridge. Yeah, I mean, I have been accused of promoting a radical feminist agenda. I've gotten that in student evals. Um, and so I still good. think that that isn't nearly, uh, it does not carry nearly the same weight as being called abrasive by Sam Eldridge at a pub in London yeah. in like 2010. After he was drunk off two beers, because of course he was. <laughs> True words. <laughs> yep. I love it. Uh, well, I think I think it's time to dive into this text. And, and let me yes. just set this up for our younger listeners who did not grow up in the shadow of this thing. Uh, this text is trying to figure out what is wrong with men. Uh, <laughs> to hear John describe it, he would say that we are all just little bitches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we have become complacent, mm-hmm. uh, passive. Yep. We have been beaten down by the world. And it is time that we take back what's ours. Uh, and did, the way did he listen to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of abrasive, uh, but he, he does a lot to sort of like he says this all very clearly, and we'll get to it. But he starts in the way that every fucking shitty book about men does. He starts in the woods. <laughs> we find him. He's in the woods. He's in Colorado, and he's tracking something. It's a bull elk, and he spends some time talking about this bull elk and how, how majestic it is and how there used to be lots of, lots of them around, but so, it's weird. They're not here anymore. I wonder why that is and if it has anything to do with the kind of behavior that he's going to spend the rest of this book encouraging. But set all that aside because, as it turns out, the bull elk is a real elk, but it's also a metaphor because you see... John isn't just in the woods hunting elk like a weirdo. He's hunting for his heart. <laughs> and I want to say here that 
uh, he he just like lets slip that he's at 10,000 feet. He's just climbed this mountain and he's done it in blue jeans, (laughs) (laughs) which is like the last thing you want to wear when you're climbing a mountain. It makes me wonder if he's ever been outside before. Yeah, I don't even want to walk downstairs in blue jeans. I, uh, Look, the moment but no, as, a, as an actual home, out, uh, outdoors yeah. person, a person that does the hikes, Kelsey can say with definity, don't don't hike in blue jeans, idiot. <laughs> yeah, Zach did leave off my bio that uh, I was a park ranger for 12 years in Yosemite. Um, so as much as John Eldridge would love to strip that experience of its meaning for me because I'm a woman, um, <laughs> I do have some insights on existing in the outdoors. Yeah, it was it was really nice how you're able to come along Yosemite's adventure and be a yeah. part of it mm-hmm. and support Yosemite in in his adventure. Uh, that was really nice. It was really nice how Yosemite um, found me captivating. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so I I just want to read a paragraph from this first uh, chapter before we really get into his thesis uh, because. I think you, it's important to understand when you're talking about Wild at Heart that how it's written. It's not written mm-hmm. like a lot of other Christian books that I have read. It's bad, but it's bad in its own unique way. And so I'm just <laughs> going to take us through a moment that really, I think, encapsulates a lot of the things that we're going to see throughout this text. Eve was created within the lush beauty of Eden's garden. Uh. But Adam, if you'll remember, was created outside the garden in the wilderness. In the record of our beginnings, the second chapter of Genesis makes it clear, man was born in the outback from the untamed part of creation. Only after is he brought to Eden, and ever since then, boys have never been at home indoors, and men have always had an insatiable longing to explore. We long to return. It's when most men come alive. As John Muir said, when a man comes to the mountains, he comes home. The core of a man's heart is undomesticated, and that is good. As one North Face ad says, I am not alive in the office. I am not alive in the taxi cab. I am not alive on the sidewalk. Amen to that. Their conclusion, never stop exploring. I want to just jump in here and say that when I read this paragraph, I was (laughs) blinded by rage for lots of reasons. Um, Yeah. And I mean, most fundamentally, because John Eldridge like loves to take this experience that is really fundamental to my uh, identity and and, like the sort of one of the most important like shaping factors of my life and say that it is inherently masculine. Um, Mm -hmm. But also because um, I was like, I don't actually think that that is the John Muir quote. (laughs) Like... (laughs) As a park ranger in Yosemite, you have to know some shit about John Muir. <laughs> yeah, that is a requirement. It is. And let me start by saying, like, we need to get over John Muir. He, like, said some really harmful things. Yeah. That really, like, were you, you know, a lot of the things that he said were sort of used to pave the way for genocide against Native people throughout the West. Um, and he is lionized in a way that is very problematic. Um, he yes. also did say some good things. And... He also said lots of things that were just flowery, but essentially neutral. Um, but I still was like, you know, I just don't think that that is the quote, actually. And, and yeah. like, John Eldridge doesn't actually put it in quotation marks here. So he's, he is paraphrasing. And my first mm. thoughts were like, okay, 
if that, I'm going to have to look this quote up, but even if that is what John Muir was saying, he was saying it in the 19th century. So any use of man would be essentially gender neutral, Mm -hmm. you know, like classic 1800 style, like using man as just like the universal stand in for humans. Yeah. Um, Like God. Yes. Right. Totally the same thing. But I was like, but I actually don't even think that he used the word man in that quote. So I looked it up. Mm. Um, and here's the actual quote. <laughs> Thousands of tired, nerve-shaken, over-civilized people are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home. That wilderness is a necessity. Oh my, he gendered it. John Muir, It wasn't gendered, John so Muir he gendered it. John literally just said over-civilized people. He, John Muir, in the original writing in the 19th century, did not specify a gender. Like, yeah. in no way did it have any bearing for him uh, on sex or gender. Incredible. John Muir more that, woke. That, that is honestly remarkable when, like, the, the guy in the 1800s with some problematic views on a lot of things nails the take compared to you, John Eldridge. <laughs> the Battle of the Johns. <laughs> I also just love you t- you like again I agree with you I I actually have a lot to say about John Muir and and how he is remembered and how like we have propped up his legacy in ways that are not very genuine to the man but uh leaving aside on one hand you've got John on the other hand you have you know North Face ads things of equal import <laughs> North Face ads and John Muir <laughs> like just... he's such a like dude of the late 90s and aughts like, his obsession with, like, what we'll get to, like, his media in general is fascinating. Um, let's uh, let's keep pushing towards what he's getting at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do have to – the next sentence yes. uh, was very frustrating to me because it does one of the things I hate most in this book, and it also kind of nails me. Uh, he says – Our gender seems to need little encouragement to explore. It comes naturally, like our innate love of maps. Uh, (laughs) Innate. (laughs) Innate. Innate. And fuck that, because John will spend this whole book, this whole book, any fetish that John has, John believes all (laughs) men share. Like, he he fully believes that every man has a deep desire to see a woman sit on a balloon and then squeal. Like, that is John Eldridge through and through. But... He kind of nailed me with the maps thing. I do like maps. <laughs> I, I do. Me, I like. I think they're neat. Let me help you out there, Michael. I can. Okay. I'm, I can come. I can come to your rescue. Please. Someone has to. I, I lost my map. I have no idea where I am. I also really like maps. Whew. All right. Thank you can goodness. enjoy maps without feeling like a misogynist. You might be miso- a misogynist for other reasons. <laughs> I'm oh, not here uh, to most speak assuredly. to that. But your love of maps is uh, neither innate. Nor essentially misogynistic. Yeah, see, I... Good. I am glad that I can unproblematically appreciate my maps. Uh, I'm completely neutral. That, that honestly makes me very happy. Uh, I think, I think we're good. Yeah, I... Moving sort of forward, there, there are a lot of things that stepped out, like, pretty quickly to me. I don't know about y'all. Yeah. Like, when he compares him canoeing in Colorado to Livingston headed into dark Africa. Dude, I have that, like... Like highlighted, just amazing yeah. moment. In oh its yeah, time. literally, I've got it highlighted right here. Uh, yeah, no, he will spend this entire book fetishizing explorers without ever really taking a second to think about what is it that the explorers did when they got somewhere. Like, what <laughs> what were they up to when they arrived? That wasn't great, was it? We kind of did a few genocides over and over and over again. Never comes up for him. Uh, unconcerned. Yeah, completely. Uh, he also says. 
The male heart needs a place where nothing is prefabricated, modular, non-fat, Ziploc, franchised, online, or microwavable. And to that, I just have a simple question. Um, do you think men had nothing to do in the production of any of those things, John? <laughs> John, you seem to be upset at the state of the world, but especially if we're going back into decades past, who do you think is responsible for the state of the world, John? Well, my favorite- like, How do you think we got here? That's one of my favorite things he does constantly, because he talks in like all these fuckers about World War II nonstop. Oh and he talks God. about like how men storming Normandy is one of the great things they did, like men fighting evil. Uh, who was on the other side of Normandy, my guy, my dude, yep. homie? Yep. He, he never has anything to say about all those other men doing, you know, the evil shit. Like, that never, <laughs> ever enters his mind. Well, you know what? In I, his uh, defense, he doesn't just talk about World War II. He talks a lot about the Civil War. He actually talks about both sides being very fine people. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he, he, big fan of Robert E. Lee, this big guy. Big fan, big fan of Lee. Uh, we, talk, we talk a lot about the Hundred Years' War. So it doesn't... Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not just concerned with modern history here. Oh, yeah. Speaking yeah, of yeah. guys who love to be outside, the English noble, noble class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so he's already here. The only critique that really exists is of modernity. He's, he, yeah. he, he is writing against office jobs essentially and yet somehow it is all framed in this very gendered context that makes no sense constantly and this will be the whole book he's mad at something that thing has nothing to do with gender but he's pretty damn sure that only men can solve it <laughs> and really that only men experience it which leads me to yeah that's a great point that he does not know any women besides Stasi. <laughs> mm -mm. um mm -mm. And even that, I'm a little tenuous. I, yeah, I am with you. As much as he loves to say that he has fought for her, because apparently he doesn't know any women, he thinks that only men experience, like, the emptiness and futility of the modern grind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that no no one no woman has ever been in a Zoom meeting. But yeah, it's uh it's really fascinating how yeah, all of human experience for him exists only for men. Uh really really wild stuff. Okay. There are three things that all men want, guys. And this isn't John talking. This is me talking. If he doesn't, uh, say, pussy, if he doesn't say pussy money weed, I'm going to fucking flip <laughs> on it. It is, it is essentially a remix. Uh, and this is his whole pitch. He gets through his entire thesis in chapter one, and the rest of this book will just be him throwing anecdotes at the, this idea. So strap in, because this is as intellectual as it's going to get, and it's not at all. The three things that every man wants... A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Uh. <laughs> so he got one of the three, Zach. He, he, he did get pussy. He did not get money or weed, but he did get pussy. I, I guess the, uh, the battle could be money and <laughs> the adventure is weed. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I think that weed for most people provides the opposite of adventure. I was going to say, historically speaking, it's, just, it's not really an adventure drug. But yeah, it's uh, really fascinating to me. It spends a while trying to like sort of justify why these are universal yes, truths. Yes. And his reasons are truly insane. Because they essentially boil down to he's talked to lots of men and studied literature. Well, I, I would not say studied. He no, has no. been he to does. a Barnes and Noble in Des Moines uh -huh. one time. Yes, At and one also point a later, used bookstore, and he picked up 
a book and read one quote and it changed his life. That got me so much. It was like, you don't fucking read. You pick books (laughs) off the shelf and stare at them for a minute. You read three sentences. And then because that is the only text you have ever encountered, by definition, it has to be meaningful to you. But also, this was really before everyone just had internet all the time. And now he doesn't even have to do that. He can just sort of peruse, um, like... A to Z quotes. Yes. Brain pickings or whatever those quotes. (laughs) Brain pickings. Good quotes. Yeah. Yeah, I truly believe that John has never actually read a book. But you know what John does a lot of? He watches a lot of movies. A fucking ton of movies. See, this is where he he might actually know Stasi because (laughs) according to John, God speaks to her through movies. Oh, yes. I forgot that little pull quote. That is so special. I I mean, I think we've all had the moment where we're going through our 18th run through of the notebook and then the voice (laughs) of the Lord speaks into our life and souls. Uh, if he, if God happens, happens, just happens to look like Ryan Gosling, so be it. So be it. Well, okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, should we go through the three things and his basic premise for them? Yeah. Uh, all right, Zach, a battle to fight. <sighs> so, I mean, he spends a lot of the, we'll, we'll talk about various elements of this, but, uh, he very firmly believes that all men are warriors, mm-hmm, that all mm-hmm. men have to fight evil. That only men can fight evil, but evil is never framed as men. I Again, like the Nazis were basically some sort of weird supernatural blob. Uh, he talks about the devil, which can be the literal devil, or it can be uh, the literal devil pointing you towards the Shape magazine at your local Piggly Wiggly with mm-hmm, a uh, mm-hmm. picture of a woman in a bathing suit. And that... In order to have a satisfying life, men have to leave the feminized workplace. Yeah, I think we all agree the office copier is low-key female. Yeah. And fight their adventure. Also be outside a lot and read about World War II. (laughs) And honestly, like, I think he's pretty okay if you just watch movies about World War II. Because he (laughs) he named so many movies. Like, at one point, he just lists them. This is an actual quote from the book. Braveheart, The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Magnificent Seven, High Noon, Saving Private Ryan, Top Gun, Die Hard, Gladiator. Okay, I want He gets one thing right in that whole list, <laughs> and that is Die Hard. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, can we also Good talk point. about uh, Top Gun? At some point, his love of Top Gun will become relevant. And yeah, certain yeah. Dynamics Top, Gun, Top, Gun Top Gun is Gun. there for our more keen listeners that are, are wondering, oh, that's an interesting choice in the midst of all those other ones. Uh, he also spends a fair amount of time just describing the plots of these movies, particularly <laughs> Braveheart, which I went through and counted, appears 10 times in 11 chapters. Um, <laughs> okay. Is, I don't know, is this the place to mention that he gets a present at one point that's Braveheart-related? Yeah, let's maybe dive into Braveheart because Braveheart, like all these texts are important to him. They are clearly the thing he studied most before he wrote this book. But Braveheart holds a special place and it's become kind of cliche. Again, this is one of those things that have just become so like default to this brand of toxic Christian man that it's almost a little bit boring to talk about. Like, oh, white Christian dude likes Braveheart. Neat. But he's really into Braveheart. Like it's a lot. So uh, this he, m- might be a relevant moment to mention. I've actually never seen it. <laughs> uh, good for you. It's not a good movie. It's, I mean, it's a shitty movie. I, it's, it is very present in culture, but mm-hmm. I feel like if I was trying to summarize it, 
having not there's a lot of movies that I think I haven't seen most movies to be honest um Kelsey didn't have tv growing up I, yeah. yeah we covered that in the, in our her inaugural episode on the pod <laughs> I don't think it makes me a lesser being um but hard either, disagree but continue I do feel that I could fairly accurately describe a lot of classic movie plots that I've never seen um but Braveheart is not one of them. Like, really, all I can say is that there were blue painted dudes fighting. You nailed it. That's the plot is of that Braveheart. That's plot? all that fucking happens okay, in that goddamn right. movie. Uh, at one point, his wife, I'm just going to read a brief section here. Before me was a long rectangular box on the family room floor. Open it, she said. I removed the bow and lifted the lid. Inside was a full-size claymore, a Scottish broadsword, exactly like the one used by William Wallace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he really sees William Wallace, a a man who, like, without getting into the politics of fighting against colonial aggression, uh, he doesn't really care about that. He just sees him as a cool dude who said a lot of quotes. And, uh, you know, fought, fought guys. And, like, Mel Gibson rocks. Yeah, I, I think it's very telling that when we flash forward to something like Mark Driscoll, like when mm-hmm. Mark Driscoll was talking about pussified men on his, like, church mess- message board, the moniker he used was William Wallace too. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a long-standing thing for these, like, reformed Christian assholes. And, and like... All the sundry abuse that comes along with a Mark Driscoll, like William Wallace love should be a major red flag for any human being. Like if you <laughs> if you were into Braveheart, if you like William Wallace, I'm sorry, you're problematic. You've got some shit to figure out. And if you're dating someone or married to someone who is into William Wallace, just get the fuck out. Leave just immediately. Co- <laughs> yeah, to go, go. That Claymore is not going to be your friend. Oh, like th- no. these are not well people. I also just want to say, I know this is overused, William Wallace wouldn't like any of you motherfuckers. William oh, Wallace no. was an angry man who killed a lot of people <laughs> because he was tired of du- dudes like John Eldridge <laughs> writing books and pretending it was cool. Yeah, we'll get to like how who this book is written for because he says men, but he doesn't mean it. There is, I think, yeah. a more specific audience for, for him, and it comes up in a couple interesting ways. But the main thing is that William Wallace appears in every chapter, and at yep. the end, his wife gives him a claymore because he has truly become William Wallace. <laughs> and I think her little message says, thank you for being my William Wallace. You have a brave heart. Amazing. Incredible stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I have that much to say about an adventure to share. Uh, it's, it's maybe the least problematic in that basically all he says about adventuring is like, you need to have something in your life that isn't just your partner and like despite all the toxicity around that like i agree with that people's lives should be more than like just their partner uh but then of course he throws a bunch of misogynistic bullshit in on top of that but it's kind of boring like i think i feel like we'll get to like the other stuff however a beauty to unveil is a real fucker and like what a holy shit (laughs) holy shit i uh this is like he spends so much time talking about how, like, you need to pursue women, but also you need to be a badass uh, warrior man so that women want you because no one's going to want you if you're nice. He really hates nice men. And he talks a lot. He puts it in, like, trademark at one point, like, really nice guys. He, and he and capitalizes this is not the, like, it. 
Yes, yes. I uh, this is not the like 2020 version of like nice guy discourse where we all understand that like toxic men using kindness to try to like get gross like things that they want. This he just genuinely hates kind men. Like that is a bad thing for him. Yeah, any level of sensitivity to him means that you are not living up if you're a dude uh, to God's vision for your masculinity. Yeah, he says aggression is part of the masculine design. And I thought that was interesting. It's like, well, uh, even if you believe that nonsense, also presumably as a Christian, you believe that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm just curious how you arrived at the conclusion that aggression is one of the good parts. Like, even if we accept this absolutely bullshit premise that aggression is somehow prototypically or exclusively male, uh, I, I don't. Mm, I don't understand how you decided that that's what God wanted is for you to be an asshole at all times. Jesus noted aggressive dick. <laughs> In fact, yeah. he tells a he tells a story about um, when Blaine, whom I also knew <laughs> in college, um, who actually at the time was a pretty nice guy, real theater type, we'll say. Um, he, um, Cut off the old block. Yeah, you know what? Um, he nailed his performance in Godspell, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> he, he, so... John is telling a story about Blaine getting uh, pushed down by a bully in first grade. And, um, and he's like really ashamed about it. And John in there at the dinner table tells him, <laughs> Blaine, look at me, look at me. And then Blaine like looks up crying. And John tells him the next time that happens, you stand up and you hit that bully as hard as you can. And Blaine becomes gleeful. Yeah. Blaine is just so hype. And to hear John say it, this moment decided the soul of his child. That's right. Like, I forgot that that was the thing that put him, sent him to heaven. <laughs> yeah. So one, he is giving himself so much credit for just the most boring run-of-the-mill <laughs> advice. Like a thing I have heard on a dozen sitcoms. Uh, and, and then two, he's saying that like if if his child didn't stand up for himself in this moment, then this was going to ruin his life. Absolute, like he just had to do it in this moment. And I think it's really worth examining. Like this is a much bigger issue than just John's use of the, you got to punch the bully back <laughs> bullshit. But like never in this entire book about masculinity and men, does he ever give a thought to like, well, maybe we should consider how we fix or save this bully. Like, he never cares. The bully is just an enemy to be destroyed. Uh, there's never any concern for how you could assist or help somebody who is acting out. Or even just like, well, I wonder what conditions made this child act this way. Uh, no, it's just just punch the kid in the mouth. And also, as a, as a kid who was bullied and was often told to punch your bullies, let me just tell you, it doesn't always fucking work out. It's not, it's not great advice. It's not, it's not, in fact, going to solve your life. Interestingly, if you're a girl who's been bullied, you've just been told to kill them with kindness. Ooh, that is somehow worse. It, let me tell you, also does not help. Yeah, doesn't work. Yeah. Really, the best thing not your great. parents can do is just help you transfer schools. Yeah. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> Honestly, well done. Mm -hmm. Well done. Way to make that happen. Absolutely. What a gift. I'm not. Hey, I'm not. I'm being serious there. Yeah. We just kept yeah, moving, yeah. so I just, you know always was able yeah. to never be that close to bullies. You know what else he doesn't <laughs> consider at all, ever, is Jesus. Yes! Amen. Thank you. Jesus is super absent from this book. Jesus 
noted man who was bullied. <laughs> noted man who <laughs> fought the Romans with an AK gunning down his, his oppressors. Um, so actually, as I'm reading the anecdote about Blaine being told to just punch the shit out of your first grade bully, I'm thinking like, oh, interesting. Like that, what about turn the other cheek? And then John, I will say, anticipates me. Yes. He, he mm-hmm. says in the next paragraph. <laughs> yes, I know that Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. Here's his rejoinder to that. But we have really misused that verse. What the fuck? <laughs> and then like nothing else. Like he does not encounter that verse again. He goes on to say, you cannot teach a boy to use his strength by stripping him of it. Jesus was able to retaliate. Believe me. But he chose not to. Which is a really yep. interesting take from a biblical literalist. Um and, yet, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. yet we suggest that a boy who is mocked, shamed before his followers, stripped of all power and dignity, should stay in that beaten place because Jesus wants him there. You will emasculate him for life. From that mm-hmm. point on, he will be passive and fearful. He will grow up never knowing how to stand his ground, never knowing if he is a man indeed. I thought it was fucked up when he called Jesus a little gay bitch. He was, does, though. That actually does. happens. <laughs> Because there is another then he section. Actually, goes on to describe things. I describe what I would many characteristics that I personally would attribute to Jesus. Not always, right? Uh, but he goes on to say, "Oh yes, he will." Meaning the this boy who's been stripped of his masculinity, he will be courteous, sweet, even deferential, minding all his manners. It may look moral. It may look like turning the other cheek, but it is merely weakness. You cannot turn a cheek you do not have. Our churches are full of such men. I think that's such a great quote because one of the things that comes through really strongly is that John Eldridge fucking hates the church. Yeah. Like he he really does. It's really wild to me how much Christians latched onto this because this is in many ways, at least in John's brain, a scathing rebuke of American Christianity. Uh because he thinks that all the people in the church are just khaki ass bullshit motherfuckers. And like, he might be right about that for a lot of other reasons, but like, (laughs) he's very, very angry that people are nice at church. Like that to him, that he, the only way he can conceptualize that is that everyone is faking, they're lying Mm -hmm. or they're broken. Like that's the only way kindness exists in John's mind. And I think we'll find it's because John has some rage issues. We'll get there. But like John is an angry man. (laughs) And for him, that becomes the universal male condition rather than just John has some anger issues because his family (laughs) life was fucked up. Yeah. Uh, But to finish your point about Jesus being a little pussy bitch. That gets said pretty fucking explicitly a la- earlier in, or later on in this chapter where he's talking with one of his buddies and he's like, be honest now, man. What's your image of Jesus as a man? Isn't he sort of meek and mild? This is his friend talking. I mean, the pictures I have of him show a gentle guy with children all around, kind of like Mother Teresa. Hilarious for other reasons. Yeah. Yes, those are the only pictures I've seen in many churches. In fact, those are the only pictures I've seen of Jesus. As I've said before, they leave me with the impression that he was the world's They don't have the guy. historically accurate photos of Jesus up on the walls, <laughs> yeah. and it's fucked up. 
<laughs> that is fucked up. That is not his concern. <laughs> Mr. Rogers with a beard. Telling to me to be like him feels like telling me to be limp and go passive. Be nice. Be swell. Be like Mother Teresa. I'd much rather be told to be like William Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> That's who he worships. That's who he Okay, worships. so there's a lot to unpack there. So One. much to unpack there. One. Just 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 off the bat, um, you hate Jesus, dog. Like, yeah. You just do. Like, what the fuck? On the continuum like, of, like, the people who are most like actual Jesus, who probably incur the most favor and love, uh, I don't know, favor and approval from God. Uh, on yeah, a, on high a, score. Right. On a scale of uh, John Eldridge uh, to Jesus, Mr. Rogers <laughs> is way closer to Jesus than he is Thank to John Eldridge. Thank you. Keep my boy's name out your fucking mouth. Like, I could not. This is not the only time he insults Mr. Rogers. No, he does. In it's a book. continual refrain. Yeah. How fucking dare you insult Mr. Rogers, a man who did so much for children for decades? Who did so much for children. Also, Mr. Rogers fucking killed some people. Like, <laughs> listen, Mr. William Wallace, motherfucker, Mr. Theater Douche, you do not get to pretend that you somehow have one on Mr. Rogers in any shape or form. Like, Mr. That's Rogers awesome. was a real one who chose gentleness. Like, that is what it makes him so beautiful. He is the very thing that you claim that you're about, and yet here you are putting shade on his name. I cannot fucking stand it. And let's remember, too, that only one of these men was ever an ordained minister. And it is not Thank John you. Eldridge. He is and a, quote-unquote, counselor somehow. <laughs> yeah. He was on staff at a church for a while, and then he was a biblical counselor, which we've covered in another episode <laughs> with Christopher Thomas. But when you hear Christian counselor, just think spiritual abuser. That's okay. all. That, that's one for one. That is what those words mean. We need to, for huh. a few reasons, Photoshop him onto that picture of Louis C.K. where it says underneath it, yeah. chronic masturbator. And mm -hmm. there's there's more than one reason we should put John Eldridge's face on Louis C.K. <laughs> Last thing is very funny to me that these idiots think Mother Teresa was kind. Yeah. <laughs> like, well. we, we need to do a whole episode on Mother Teresa at some point. But, uh, yeah, that's not the take. Okay. <coughs> Men, do you want to know what you're here for? <laughs> I'll tell you what you're here for. You're here to explore, build, and conquer. You don't have to tell a boy to do those things for the simple reason that it is his, it is his purpose. I, I just... It's so weird. Is this the place to talk about... This was Kelsey's take. This sort of proto-Jordan Peterson young shit. But, uh, yeah, I think... Sorry. I was also going to no. say, like, I want to just also name, like, thank God. Genuinely thank God that the Eldridges did not have daughters. Mm, yes. But also, yeah. like, to assume because you have only raised sons... That, like, all of these characteristics are the sole properties of dudes. Having no other experience is just the most, like, intellectually facile bullshit I've come across in a hot minute. Yeah, it's real bad. And at every point, he turns to his sons as proof. He, he both enculturates his children and then uses how his children act to say this is a universal truth. Yep. Which is wild. That is wild <laughs> to think, like, oh, <coughs> yes. The beings that more than anything are a product of how I think uh, are, in fact, proof that all beings are like this, or at least all be beings with a penis. Um, it is fucking crazy. I, I agree with you. I had that thought. I was like, I wonder what, what this book would have been if John had had daughters. And then I similarly came to the conclusion that only would have been miserable for them. Uh, thank God yeah. that they were spared that. I, I agree. Uh, also, 
exploring, building, and conquering. Again, he like here he puts like conquer and and like yeah, those are things that a lot of bad people did. That's how we got the world you hate so much. Like I don't understand this disconnect between He's, he's critiquing society as exists today, but we were built on the backs of people that did a whole bunch of horrible shit that he's saying we should go do more of. Like, how can you valorize the very people that did the genocides that got us to your fucking office job that you hate? I don't get it. I mean, he, I, the boring take is that he's responding to... <sighs> take a shot here, everybody. The um the the sort of alienation of labors and the laborers from their <laughs> from their work and the general alienation we have from each other and our labor and uh everything we do and 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 that's part of it but it's not all of it well right yeah, and I also just... the most obvious part of that is that all of those things almost entirely were engineered by men oh of course exactly of like, course they're like well, that that's sort of what i'm getting at is like the people you were valorizing built the world you hate and i understand that it's a different stage of that thing but like it's really weird that you want to like return to this era that that's what got us here um also very funny for to picture me at like seven years old building spaceships with legos being like this is my purpose <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Uh, I, I may have felt that way at the time. Um, okay, <laughs> moving desperately onward. At one point, as a way to like perk up one of his counselees, he says, your life is not home improvement. It's saving private Ryan. And I just want to take a moment to say, bro, my life is clearly peep show. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just... it, it's also funny to mention home improvement, uh, a show about a very affectedly masculine man. Yeah. It's it's very interesting, especially given yeah how what what that home improvement represented. But uh, but you know he can't do it in the suburbs. You can't be this man in the suburbs. You have to be it in the woods, Zach. <laughs> Not enough to be an asshole tyrant of your house at home. Um, okay. There is a great moment yeah, where he brings up another movie. A Perfect mm. World. I was not familiar with this movie. Me either. But to hear John tell it, it's the story of how Kevin Costner is a convict who kidnaps a child and demands to see his penis, but it's good for the child because the child's mother was emasculating him. Oh, no. Well, and he learned that it was a, a reasonably sized penis for a kid his age. Yes, yes. So, like, Kevin Costner, the criminal, kidnaps a child, demands that the child show him his penis, but then reassures him that his penis is, in fact, normal. And, uh, and that for John is a story of how men need to support each other by staring at children's penises. Okay, also, gonna... wouldn't you know it, I Googled the movie directed by Clint Eastwood. That's so funny. It's um, actually good. considered by both critics and fans one of Clint Eastwood's best movies. Ha, you Googled it too. <laughs> yes, I did. We both read the I recognize that Wikipedia lot. <laughs> okay, so there's a few times he's creepy in this, and this feels like a funny place to bring it up. He has a chapter called Little Boys and Little Girls. <laughs> <laughs> at one point he says i'm more afraid i'm afraid i'm more like woody allen <gasps> and finally a chapter called finishing him off <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know if i have too much to say about it but you know uh, for for all you q heads out there that like you know cooking the text <laughs> there's some things to cook in this text uh, you could come to some conclusions should we talk about brent is that is that a good segue to to yeah let's let's get into brent who is brent zach <laughs> brent is, is is he's he's his best friend but he's more than his best friend he's definitely a, more 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. He's his partner. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who really taught him how to live. I'm actually going to do one of our longer readings here. Here is here's our guy reading about Brent. Writing about Brent, excuse me. <clears throat> so much healing took place in my life, simply through my friendship with Brent. We were partners, but far more than that. <laughs> we spent hours together. Fly fishing, backpacking, hanging out in pubs, just spending time with a man I truly respected, a real man who loved and respected me. Nothing heals quite like that. <laughs> At first, I feared that I was fooling him, that he'd see through it any day <laughs> and drop me, but he didn't. And what happened instead was a validation. <laughs> My heart knew that if a man I know is a man thinks I'm one too, well, then maybe I'm one after all. Remember, masculinity is bestowed by masculinity. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. Only a man can make you a man, son. <laughs> it's just like, dude, this is getting very Greek boy, man. Like, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about this initiation, John. I, uh, I think... Jumping off that, one of my favorite parts of him being absolutely insane when it comes to children or when he kind of defends the Columbine shooters. Uh, I don't remember that. Like, he doesn't say it right out, but he's like, hey, you know how Columbine just happened because I'm writing in 2000? Uh, That was bad, but our solution has been to take the dangerous nature away from men entirely, and that's bad too. And then he has a truly, truly insane paragraph. Uh, where he says that strength so essential to men that can make them do horrible things is also what makes them heroes. If a neighborhood is safe, it's because of the strength of men. Slavery was stopped by the strength of men. The Nazis (laughs) were stopped by men. And have we forgotten it was a man who let himself be nailed to Calvary's cross? (laughs) I don't know if we should keep this or not, but I will also just put in here... Um, my mom and I were discussing gender not very long ago. Uh, and my parents are great. I've said that before on the pod. They're truly, truly wonderful. Um, I'm so lucky, like no irony at all. And my mom was like, we were kind of discussing, you know, the, the nature of gender and and God and like, you know, the gen, you know, whether we should use gendered pronouns for God. Um, and my mom was like, obviously Jesus had to be a man because women sacrifice their lives for others all the time. It was only notable if a man did it. <laughs> you know, that is not the direction I thought this was going to go, but you really swung it around in the last bit there. <laughs> we that's totally great. got that. Sorry. No, I love it. I love no, it. No, I, uh, I, I think that's a, that's a great point. I also... Uh, on this quote, I just want to ask, uh, neighborhood safe from whom, John? Right. Yeah. Uh, so who, who was doing the slavery that needed to be stopped, John? Also, I've read about the Underground Railroad. You're fucking wrong. You're like, fucking they're, they're, wrong. You're fucking wrong. <laughs> like, All the most no. important abolitionists were women. Yeah, it's a and, thing. I mean, obviously he, thing. Means, he means that men went to war because of war is essential to the male experience. If and we have no actual wars that to fight, then change. we have to fight Satan. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we do. Oh, we'll and get we there. do. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think it, it kind of blows my mind. Uh, John 
gets the closest to eloquent he gets in this book when he talks about his alcoholic father um, mm-hmm. who like started drinking in his teenage years and was very absent and I guess the relationship never recovered and like John is like talking fairly genuinely about like how this wounded him how so much of his life from that point was sort of built around the damage that that caused and trying to overcome it in these sort of broken ways uh, and never ever does he like go back and think like John has this experience. He sees the pain that is caused by his father, but he never cares about how to fix his father or even what would be beneficial to his father. Like for John, because of this pain, which is obviously very real and I'm not mocking him for, but like if you're writing a book about masculinity, you're probably going to need to talk about how do we help people connect with people assist people who are struggling with real things like alcoholism or drug addiction or according to john pornography which we'll get to (laughs) his weird obsession with porn but uh but like this book isn't written for people who have those needs this book isn't written for people who have those struggles this book assumes that if you are a person who has those struggles you are already lost and i think that's a really fucked up thing for a book that is ostensibly christian essentially about Mm -hmm. how to be a good christian to do is to be like well those souls are clearly lost fuck them they're your enemy it's all about how you overcome them yeah i mean there's a lot of dehumanizing here like i i yeah he really does say that, like, he really believes, first of all, that your neighborhood is free of rapists because of men, but that the rapists are not men. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's no, so if, strange. If he... And he also says, you know, he one of the things that he bemoans correctly is isolation. For mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. reason, he seems to think that only men experience isolation, Um but, you know, he does pinpoint that, like, lack of, well, because he loves, and this will come later in his career, but and we can talk more about that, but um, Band of Brothers, of course, has in more recent years become really foundational to what he does. Um, mm-hmm. And that sense of, like, the camaraderie born out of military service, um, which he has not experienced, by the way, Um even a little bit. Not even a little bit. No, he, well, he did not, you know, he was not in the military. He was a theater major at Cal Poly Pomona. There you go. Um, hey, he did his tour at Cal Poly Pomona. <laughs> Cal Poly Pomona. Now, it was a tour with Music Man, but still. <laughs> um, he, he, he was not part of the touring group. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Yeah. He does, you know, he does pinpoint that like men are isolated. You know, women yeah. are isolated too. We're all isolated. Um, capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism. We're all atomized. We all need community, and we don't have it. We don't have anyone that we can like rely on. Um, mm-hmm. But rather than saying like, if you come to a moment <laughs> of desperation or addiction or depression, you need to have. So, like from his perspective, right, your bros to call on Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. to have a brent that you can call up like instead those people are just the enemy to be conquered yeah yes i think that is that is extremely well said and you, you make a good point that like men are so fucked up that he's he's not always wrong when he talks about how fucked up they are like like there are real issues in masculinity and and so stop clock style he's gonna he's gonna correctly identify the problem every once in a while but he will never have a solution that is not totally (laughs) insane (laughs) uh we've talked a lot about 
what John has to say about men. But, you know, <laughs> he has some things to say about women, too. He does say they be shopping. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> women be shopping. Yeah. <laughs> it, he does, in fact, have his own three things that all women want. Uh, you know, because, you know, he, he in, some, in his own way, he's very equitable in this, right? So if a man wait, wants wait, wait, a battle to fight... Go ahead. I just think this needs to be in a woman's voice. <laughs> okay, okay, well, fair enough. Michael right. is trying to silence <laughs> I'm doing a sexism. Hey, hey. Michael is silencing me. <laughs> My, Michael is treating you the way Will Smith's hand treated Chris Rock's face. <laughs> okay, let me just say that if I was John right now, I would be contemplating divorce because a woman raised her voice to me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I can't wait to hear but more yes. about his psycho psychosis with that. Um, no, oh Michael, my God. what I want you to do is say the three things, that, reiterate for us the three things that men want, yeah. and then uh, I'll come in with the three things that women want. Okay. Speaking just purely as a man here, the three things that I think that all men need in their life are, of course, a battle to fight, but not just that. I, you also need an adventure to live, but perhaps most of all, a beauty to rescue. <laughs> Meanwhile, and this is not parallel structure at all because none of these people can write. Um, <laughs> women do need three things as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need, first and foremost, to be romanced. Mm-hmm. Second, an irreplaceable role to play. And third, beauty all your own to unveil. Interesting. You know, one thing that st- stands out is that those are just the reverse of the guy's things. Almost like you don't have any of your own things. Like, I'm supposed to go fight battles. You long to be fought for. I'm supposed to want adventures. You're supposed to want to share adventures. Hmm. That's interesting. Maybe we should unpack that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't read Captivated yet. So excited for next week's pod yes. where we can really dive into that. Uh, but... I have to say, reading that, I was just like, oh, boy. Like, I I know how bad this toxic bullshit is and was for me growing up in this culture. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how much worse it would be for women that had to deal with this bullshit. And this is maybe something that we'll get in more to because I also have not yet fully read Captivating. Only lived it out. I've lived it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've skimmed mm-hmm. it for... Bible just study. unveiling beauty left and right. You know how you know how you do. You know what? The shoe fits, right? <laughs> uh, but all of these things, right? Are you cannot be any of these things really without a man? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm sure I will stake my life on the idea that John and Stasi will uh, <laughs> tell us that God can romance us. Uh, and can provide us with an irreplaceable role to play and can unveil our beauty. But really, like, what they actually mean is that dudes have to do all of these things. Which is yeah, you... especially cruel when you consider the fact that women outnumber men in the church by a significant margin. Mm-hmm. So you are raising all of these girls to think that, like, they will be their most fulfilled when they are, you know, the sidekick or, like, the support or the helpmate to a man on his adventure and that they will be captivating and pursued. And then there are simply not enough dudes to go around. What yep. then? No, that I just, I, I think you're making a great point. 
it's uh it's a real fucking issue i mean we could we could spend a long time talking about all the ways in which church fails to give women anything to do uh for a lot of very sexist reasons but that is a big one that like okay let me sell you this vision what your life will be like what you were here to do also sorry fresh out maybe check back next week we might get a restock um also divorce is basically banned and no uh gay is not on the table no right none of those things yeah, but like none, across, none of those reli- across religion women out outnu- women outnumber men women are are simply oh, you know it's for lots of reasons and you know first and foremost i would say disenfranchisement from power structures that exist women turn to religion um and so it doesn't really matter what religion you're talking about there will be more women than men and when your vision of what it means to be a woman doesn't stand up without a man mm-hmm. then you just have all of these purposeless women um with nothing to offer yeah and 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 who feel like failures for Mm -hmm. like yeah that that gets put on them as if they were the ones that failed to do this when in fact it was just a bullshit metric from the start like i i certainly have known women who have struggled with being like hey i'm 30 in the church what the fuck like I it's better, real bad. I better settle for the worst asshole of all time so mm-hmm. that I can like at least pretend to unveil my beauty. Um, or uh, I'm just going to be this like sad old maid who like just failed to like duke it out with the other women or like didn't come out on top. Yeah, it's not great. I, I think I think I can feel pretty confident saying it's it's pretty not great the situation that John is creating here and and you're right to point out that like because this book was so influential this is not an experience that happened to like two people this was an entire generation of young people in the church that got to like grow up with this nonsense and it's more than just John I mean we've talked about kiss dating goodbye and lots of other things that sort of posit this purity culture and John specifically exists as kind of a, a a nuancing of that john i think would like you to think that he's a badass he mentions drinking and smoking Mm -hmm. and how dancing is cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah like john wants you to think that he's edgy even though we all know that this is just what all these fuckers do like we live in a post-driscoll world we know that this is not neat or cool or new but he certainly wants you to think that it is uh when it comes to talking about women, though, he goes a lot further than this. He he spends a whole passage being like, women, why don't you be seducing men like Ruth? Get them drunk and take advantage of them. That's how women should be. Okay, my favorite bit in that, and it's just a detail, though, is he says, no, I do not think Ruth and Boaz had sex that night. I do not think anything inappropriate happened at all. This is, my, <laughs> this is the moment that I will interject. I did go to a Christian liberal arts college. No, I'm just kidding. I, and had a really overall positive experience with it. Um, but I, I know. I'm sorry. It was actually a very progressive school at the time, and I felt really liberated by it. But um, one of the most memorable things that, from my Old Testament course um, is the relationship, and this is obviously not just an Old Testament thing, between feet and penises. <laughs> Um, uh. I, <laughs> I learned in that class that there were many euphemisms for penis. One was the pinky finger. So, for example, when Solomon says, my pinky is bigger than my father's waist, he was probably not talking about his actual pinky finger. Uh, and mm. uh, that's a pretty good, it's a pretty good brag. That's like rap level brag. <laughs> it's a rap level <laughs> brag for sure. Um, and also when Ruth uncovers Boaz's 
nudge, nudge, feet. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny when you still hear people say, uh, be like biblical literalist when they can't even say dick in the Bible. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. I'm just envisioning the person's like, no, she she uncovered his feet. I don't I don't understand what the issue is. His his feet were warm. He, he, his now, his feet grew in size. Yeah, in in that same passage where it like sort of hints around Boaz being drunk off his ass and falling asleep in a grain pile, like this is where John will be like, "No, Boaz was drunk, but also no sex happened." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like but, but no, like, I'm a straight it, shooter, but but no, no no sex. In an ancient in an ancient tribal culture, this drunk man did not take advantage of this woman. <laughs> in fact, I will say maybe he did not because it does seem like she initiated everything. And I yeah, yeah. do really want to read some consent into that. Yeah, I didn't say he raped her. I just said he was probably into it. He was probably into it. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is exegesis. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about this book doesn't care about Jesus, but there is a figure that looms large in the background. I think the true North Star of John Eldridge's Brent. soul. It's fucking the, Brent. <laughs> it is actually Brent, for sure. We will finish the Brent storyline. Don't you worry, guys. There's a season finale. But it's Carl Jung. Like, this book yes. has way more Jung in it than Jesus. Like, I don't know that I've seen a text that talks about dreams and universal stories more than this one. Like, it's very strange to me that this is ostensibly an evangelical book written for evangelicals, and it is basically just Carl Jung on a bender scrolling about his dreams. The thing, and I will say, I actually really like a lot of Carl Jung's work here because it's more interesting than any than any Christian will give it credit for. But he, they are definitely take, he's definitely doing the Jordan Peterson that Kelsey noticed that of just like taking what he decides are universals, universal archetypes, and being like, the woman is chaos. It's obvious. Mm -hmm, she needs mm -hmm. to be saved. She needs to unveil her beauty to a man. And uh, she needs to be told she's beautiful or, or she'll freak the fuck out. And men, men are just like venturing into dark Africa. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Africa's dark. <laughs> it's also one of the universals, according to John Eldridge. And like, he really, he just... He really takes those like ideas that are already incredibly slippery and just this and, and like builds out this entire like it's not even evolutionary psychology the way that like Jordan Peterson does it. It's just full on like men are women. It's like a Jeff Foxworthy sketch. Women are like this. Men are like this. And yeah. I had a dream about it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now, that's a great point that it is actually like somehow worse than jordan peterson in terms of like trying to justify itself like he literally just starts with <laughs> god created a man and woman so that's it that's all we don't need to encounter any other ideas about gender these are all just eternal truths of the human condition well he goes so far as to say that gender is more fundamental than sex and he he means it because but he so, believes in archetypes so much he believes they are more important than like bodies like at all yeah and we we see this expressed a thousand different ways the most obvious one is that there is no room in john's worldview for any gender fluidity uh certainly trans people would not be on the table for him he says some extremely cruel things about gay people in this book uh but also oh, yeah. like the existence of other cultures mm -hmm. like he can't 
he can't even fathom that there's there's no understanding of race or class or systemic injustice like none of those things can exist for john because all truths immutably are tied merely to gender and to the these two things that exist and that is it that is the entire world like it is staggering to me how blind this book is to every other concept because of its dedication to this it's so strange and it's just the entire way he views the world is yeah. is just in these like universal truths to a guy born in like the 60s a white guy a white christian guy born in 60s america uh is in how the entire universe works all right shall we get back to some funny shit yes there's a lot more funny shit to cover i don't even think we'll get to it this has to go down though is one of the all-time you know you know that twitter thing that happens where someone writes a tweet about how their kid said something profound that their kid clearly didn't say yes Conda um, forever etc yeah this is this is an all-time great entry in that uh i'm gonna read this for you now as i was working on this book a few days ago blaine came downstairs and without a word slipped a drawing he had made in front of me it was a pencil sketch of an angel with broad shoulders and long hair his wings are sweeping around him as if just unfurled to reveal that he is holding a large two-handed sword like a scottish claymore again with the fucking claymores gone john we get it (laughs) (sighs) all right He holds the blade upright, ready for action, his gaze steady and fierce. Beneath the drawing are the words, every man is a warrior inside, but the choice to fight is his own. (laughs) Of all the things that never happened, that never (laughs) happened the most. That extremely never happened. It's so good. It's insane. (laughs) Also, as someone who like kind of knew Blaine a little bit, let me reiterate that never never (laughs) there's also a great moment where john turns one of his clients into a volcel yeah remind Uh, me of that carl the volcel so carl comes to john because his sexual activity was out of control dozens and dozens of women offered themselves to him and each time he gave in he felt weakened wait he's a semen retention guy he i'm telling you that is exactly what's happening things began to change for carl when he saw the whole sexual struggle not so much as sin but as a battle for his strength men you have to retrain retain your strength (laughs) this is not that's not even a joke he's just doing the don't come in women they steal your strength i mean and also don't come at all yeah without women yeah because that's way yeah, yeah. worse. Yeah, he yeah. is also a major proponent of the nofap lifestyle. Like he he has he calls at one point he calls pornography the most addictive thing to men. And <laughs> that motherfucker has clearly never tried meth. <laughs> uh I just want to say in terms of semen retention though, he's followed the science. All right. Stop clock. <laughs> I uh we've got some partners to I want to point you to at the end of this episode. Zach, I already explained this to you. You are not allowed to become Hotep. It's just not an option for you. It's not on the table. <laughs> look, look, I am so white that I invented white people. <laughs> I have a moment that was very fun where uh he he puts his William Wallacing into practice. Mm. He he gives an example of one of his people, one of his friends who finally for the first time stood up and was a man. And and that situation was that he went to get his brace changed, and on the phone they told him $50, but in store they told him $90, and then he said, no, it was $50, and then the guy said, okay. 
bringing manhood into the very early 20th, 21st century. So good. It's just so good. Yep. Uh, that that when I think of William Wallace, I think. Uh, uh, excuse me. It was it was fifty. You said fifty <laughs> on the phone. Okay. I have a question. Does this go against his no fap lifestyle? When a man withholds himself from his woman, he leaves her without the life only he could bring. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. he does have an entire paragraph long <laughs> description of sex. Oh yeah, I have it written down here. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever read. Yeah, I was scarred for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I all right, we're here. Listeners, uh, this is the worst thing that I've ever experienced. I'm so sorry, but I'm also really glad that we all get to share in this to, together. So strap in, because there are some words coming. Strap in or strap right. on. It's, uh, the words go. are not the only thing. Oh, indeed. Okay. Augur son of Jacka is on to something here. <laughs> <laughs> nope. When there I want sex some... advice, I personally go to the Book of Judges. I don't know about y'all. Uh, there is I just something start judging. Mythic. I don't know. <laughs> oh. There is something mythic in the way a man is with a woman. Our sexuality <laughs> yeah. offers a parable of amazing depth when it is com- comes to being masculine and feminine. The man comes to offer his strength, and the woman invites the man into herself, an act that requires courage and vulnerability and selflessness for both of them. Notice that if a man does not rise to the occasion, nothing will happen. He must move, his strength must swell before he can enter her. But neither will love consummate unless woman opens herself in stunning vulnerability. When both are living as they were meant to live, the man enters his woman and offers her his strength. He spills himself there in her. For her, she draws him in, embraces, envelops him. When all is over, he is spent. But ah, what a sweet death this is. I will speak for women everywhere when I say, I am so upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We good. We good. Just, you know, we're doing universal truths of men and womankind. Universal truth of womankind. Nah, we're, yeah. we're all right. Thanks. <laughs> You know what? He did it. He ruined sex. <laughs> he did it. He did it. He finally did it. Someone needed to. He uh, wrote the word comes so many times <laughs> in that paragraph. And again, it's just this weird mix of like, bro, at this point, like you're you're writing the erotic fanfic. Why are you still using euphemisms? Why is it still <laughs> his strength is entering her? Like, it, it's just fucking just, dude, write your fanfic. It's cool. It's fine. It'll probably get some likes. Um, oh, it's just, I, I, I love that there's no reason for it, that there's no yeah, reason for it. No, it's, it's incredibly upsetting. Imagine <laughs> for one second, consider for a moment, dear Blaine. Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> the Blaine. son of John Eldridge, who I'm sure had to read this book. Oh, There's definitely. literally no meth- way. With his which- mom. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably with the family, but certainly in all the times, like he was forced to read these words that this man wrote about his mother. <laughs> like, Blaine is a victim. That's all I have to say oh, on that sure. matter. Like, he might be an asshole, but he, he there were con- things that happened first. Yeah, look, um, Blaine actually, in my experience, was a pretty nice guy. Sam was the one who called me abrasive. I make no uh, excuses for him. Okay, okay, all right. Blaine, Blaine, Blaine is the innocent. Then we'll we'll just accept that as true. He's the actor type. 
<laughs> it uh it's pretty special and pretty gross i don't have much more to say about this except a couple small points and what you know certainly feel free to chime in with anything else that stuck out to y'all uh at one point he's talking about humility and he says it's important to climb down the ladder and have your secretary over for dinner um which one is just weird and gross uh and two i think is really telling like he he wrote this book for middle managers. Like, this yeah. is not a book for men. This is a book for middle-aged office managers who don't feel good about their lives. Like, it is explicitly for that. Every time he talks about, like, generosity, he's talking about the generosity of the professional class. Like, never at any point does he consider what it's like to not be in that professional class or what being a man would look like if, say, you were in the service industry or were the secretary or working in that mailroom. Those things don't exist to him. It's how you treat your employees, but it's never how you exist as the employed. Yep. Of course not. That would yeah. never happen he, he, to you. And and I think in that sense, like, he, he's actually just writing Christian Fight Club. He's writing He's writing a book for for this professional class. And, and this is his take at uh, Punch Me in the Dick, equally gay. And also, you know, in, in this vision of the world, aside from maybe being a secretary for a few years in your very early 20s before you have babies, or in your late 50s after you've had babies and sent them off to college, uh, women don't exist at all. That's like, a great point. Women yeah. cannot be in the workforce. Yeah, women exist as either, um, he talks about pornography more than women, but I, I'm yep. assuming that there are women in his pornography. So yeah, that is a major way that I'm not women assuming show up. that, but continue. Yeah, uh, and but then there's the, the other woman is like to be a seductress or a wife, and that's yep. pretty much it. He, ne he never mentions uh, any sort of woman that doesn't exist as either a single woman dreaming of being carried off into an adventure or uh, someone that is married. That is it. That is this, the entirety good, of women's experiences. That is a good transition to Michael. You had a few thoughts on his marriage to Stasi. Oh yeah, I uh, I don't know that I have much to say about this except man is John full of rage, uh, <laughs> and I think that's actually quite telling. But aside from that, there is a moment where Stasi. I'm just going to say Stacy. Um, <laughs> where Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Where he is in the car with Stacy and he is driving and Stacy says, hey, if you take a left up here, we can skip this traffic. It'll save you a few minutes. And John goes <laughs> on to write one of the most deranged paragraphs I've ever read. All right, here we go. I was ready to divorce her. I'm serious. <laughs> in about 20 seconds, I was ready for the separation. If the judge had been in the car, I'd have signed the papers right there. I sat at the wheel, silent and steaming. Outside, I looked cool. Inside, here's what was happening. Geez, doesn't she think I know how to get there? I hate it when she does that. Then another voice says, she always does that. And I say, internally. This whole dialogue took place internally in the blink of an eye. Yeah, she does. She's always saying stuff like that. I hate that about her. A feeling of accusation and anger and self-righteousness sweeps over me. Then the voice says, John, this is never going to change. And I say, you're right. This is never going to change. And the voice says, you know, John, there are a lot of women out there who would be deeply grateful to have you as their man. And I think to myself, yeah, there are a lot of women out there. You get the picture. <laughs> Speaking of pictures, let me just encourage y'all out there. Just Google John Eldridge for a second. Yeah. And if you are attracted to men, I encourage you to chime in and just like let us know how much you would just be so appalled to have a dude that looked like John Eldridge be your man. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, what a uh, psychotic he, paragraph. 
It is genuinely like speaking as a married person. Do you get annoyed with your partner? Sure, absolutely. Happens happens regularly. Not as much for me as I'm sure she gets annoyed at me. But like, nevertheless, it happens a lot. Never in my fucking <laughs> life have I gone on this internal dialogue where I'm like ready to divorce the woman that I purport to love over directions <laughs> or anything else. Like this is insane. <laughs> And I think it really speaks to like John just thinks this is normal guy things to be yeah. this filled with rage, to be so ready, to be so angry over directions. That's just, you know, boys being boys. That's just how guys be. At what point they're at a like wedding and I can't, he just gets mad. She's like, do you want to dance? And he like storms off. He's like, I know. He's I so furious that he dance. leaves for 20 minutes, <laughs> w- intends to go to the bar and get drunk, but instead he steps into a library, pulls a book down, reads it. And Thank something God, in that God book- talks to him through books. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you know, St- Stacy just gets movies, um, but books, you know, you can, you can find a book at a wedding uh, and it saves his marriage because then he goes back out and dances with his wife. Just fucking psycho shit. Uh, he spends a long time, and I mean a long time, talking about how that wasn't actually him. That was all Satan. That's the thing. It's like, that's not his anger. He's not a rage-filled hair-trigger monster. No, that's just Satan trying to fuck over his marriage. Because, you know, we're under attack all the time, which is why all this warrior shit makes sense. Because even if your life is just going to work and coming home and being married, you're actually in battle with, you know, the, the host of the dark forces of this world. So so that that's how that all ties in. And he... he really goes deep on the spiritual warfare stuff it's by far the most quote-unquote religious element of this text is basically just being like satan's coming for you man and to him this explains not just his rage and his marriage but why pastors always be uh having affairs and notice he only mentions the affairs because what pastors actually be doing is not uh having affairs it's abuse but like for him the reason pastors have affairs is because the devil's just gunning at him so hard well, that's also the reason why flights get delayed, for example. If you're like a dude like John Eldridge, like about to go to a conference, yeah, totally. uh, your flight's going to get delayed because the devil is standing against you. Uh, I, I do for consider sure. Delta to be the devil, but yeah. um, but I still don't think his, his metaphor works. Uh, is there's there... a very fun. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Oh, uh, I was just going to say there is a very funny moment where he talks about the most base shoulders of all time before insulting them. Uh, where he's talking about paratroopers flying in on D-Day. Uh, and he is like, you know, these men, they're behind enemy lines. They're, uh, they need to be warriors and heroes. But some of them just went and got drunk. And they were found the next day drunk and partying. And I just want to say, props to those heroes. You understood the assignment. <laughs> Amen. Don't uh, die for empire. Never, never die for empire. That's the shitty Christians uh, rule. Is there anything we want to talk about before we wrap up Brent? Yeah, I think I think we need to bring it home with Brent because that that truly is. Uh, yeah, the only thing I have to mention is that you can tell it was written in 2000 because he puts a Dixie Chicks line in there, which would be absolutely unacceptable just a couple years later. Like, no way are you writing the conservative Braveheart fanfic and having a Dixie Chicks line in there if you're post 2001. Yeah, except for they've come full circle. And as oh, I have was, they? Yeah, so they're now just the chicks. They're they're great. Oh, no, they were always great. The reason that you wouldn't do it is because there was a whole conservative backlash when they oh, spoke out totally. against Bush after 9-11. So that's yes. all I'm saying is like this conservative asshole would never, oh. ever think to reference them if it had happened then. But as I was reading it now in the year of our Lord 2022, my first impulse was 
get the name of the chicks out of your mouth. Ah, uh, yes, yes. You had your Mr. Rogers moment. I have for my sure. Mr. Rogers your, moment. Your Will, my Smith. Will Smith moment. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, it's on site for Kelsey and John Eldridge if she sees him. So, I don't know if this is going to stay or not, but um, I have seen him. Um, he as, is as gaunt and unattractive in real life as he is on the internet. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was standing around with a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, who does identify as a dude. And that dude, upon seeing John Eldridge, did fire a shot across the bow um, by yelling out and then ducking down below the, like, balcony of our dorm. You're so captivating. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Amazing. No flaws. Excellent plan. Perfect execution. So, Michael, what happened to our dearly beloved Brent? More than a partner. A man who... Bestowed masculinity. Yes. Who yeah, honored yeah. John's masculinity with his own masculinity. His own that's two right, methods, that's if right. you will. They opened each other's wounds together. <laughs> um, oh, we yeah, didn't so, even talk so, about the wounds, you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's there's a whole thing with the wounds. I'm sure the wounds will show up in Captivating because there, there's a lot of discussion of wounds. Entering wounds, how important it is to really get it in there in those wounds. It's a lot. <laughs> Anyways, Brett fucking dies. Yeah, in like a paragraph. In two yep. sentences. After spending an entire book opining for this man, he throws in the end that Brent is dead. All hail new Brent. Because you see, John is learning to love again. He has found a new Brent and he is going on adventures with a new Brent now. Uh, he says, Brent, go ahead. Go no, go for it. I've opened myself to friendship again and a new partner. <laughs> we're headed out. We're heading out where Brent and I left off. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. And also, this is just the man just, who wrote an entire book called "Created This Way?" Question mark. God and homosexuality. Yep. Yep. Uh, he sure enough did. Uh, that that'll be the Patreon episode when we dive into that one. I, uh, it's uh, it's real special. Also, Brent died in a climbing accident uh, because this whole book about guys doing stupid shit uh, may have gotten his friend killed. Yeah. This whole book is literally just like, dudes, is your life hollow? Take a bunch of unnecessary risks to like simulate adventures of past bygone eras where everybody died at 35 of infections that could have been solved by antibiotics. He really wants to be hit in the face as hard as he can by Brent something. <laughs> it is a whole thing. So anyways, uh, RIP Brent. You were truly the love of John's life, and it's a shame you're gone. Um, But hey, welcome. Excuse me. Welcome to the party, New Brent. Uh, Hope (laughs) that you have some wounds that need healing, because that's kind of John's thing. Not just healing, but entering. You gotta enter. Enter to heal. Mm -hmm. Been preaching that for Uh, a long time. Let's end this with the last paragraph of this book. Uh, Well, before, of course, the final chapter, which is blank so that you can write it yourself. See what we did there? Boo. Guys, do you see what we did there? <laughs> Get you a journal, uh, guys, and become real men. <laughs> I uh, I think it, it kind of nails it. He goes, what is perhaps the hardest part is the misunderstanding I live with from others on a daily b- basis. Sometimes the winds howl around me. Other times I fear I'll fall. The other day I was feeling the way out at the end of my rope, cutting a path across a sheer face of risk. Out of my heart rose a question. What are we doing, God? And then this final final sentence is in is in bold and italics, so you know it's supposed to apply to all of us. We're climbing Everest. 
And I think that really encapsulates something because climbing Everest is a really stupid thing that only rich assholes do <laughs> at the expense of a lot of other people propping up corrupt governments and abusing uh, people populations in the area as well as occasionally dying, which is the only good thing that happens to assholes who climb Everest. Not uh, to mention so I think the consequences for the environment. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You were ruining, uh, d despoiling the natural beauty of the earth that you claim to care about so that you can take a picture in a place. And uh, it's fucking pointless. And that kind of sums up this book. This book truly is about trying to climb Everest. Couldn't say it better myself. Bravo. Well done. Yep. I can't wait for next week oh. because this was demented. <laughs> I read this entire book today. Uh, and I. I, I, I uh, all 219 Psycho. pages, and trust me when I say I felt every one of them. And uh, yeah, it was it was demented. I will say that we covered approximately a third of it. Like there's yeah. so much more crazy in this text. Um, so yeah, that's Wild at Heart. What a ride. I gotta say, Ooh, sometimes we get into these texts and they're boring. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes mm -hmm. the hardest part of doing this pod is just like, how do you make these fucking potato <laughs> motherfuckers sound interesting for one goddamn second? Uh, but I got to say, I got to say, this was not a boring read. No. Uh, there was, this there, is the, a roller coaster. The, but with that, my name is Michael Tabor. You can find me at Michael Tabor. I am the most esteemed guest of all time, Kelsey Lair. Mm -hmm. You can find me at Kelsey Lair on Twitter. Uh, I'm Zachary Allard. You can find me at Zachary underscore Allard. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time for Captivating.